How many of you saw the movie Bull Durham? All right. If you haven't, you don't need to go watch it because then you'll come back and go, why did a pastor watch that movie? Okay. But uh, anyway, it's about a baseball team. And it's ultimately about a, about a couple guys, but one of them's a kid and he's a pitcher. And he's trying to learn how to play baseball at the highest level. And Kevin Costner's character is an old veteran catcher. And so there's a scene in the movie where Kevin Costner's character is catching the baseball game as the kid's pitching and he's doing really well. And if you know anything about baseball, the catcher usually signals to the pitcher what kind of pitch to throw and where that pitch should go. <clears throat> Those of you that don't anything about baseball, check out, catch back up. We'll be okay, right? But he tells him where to throw it. And so he's telling the kid where to throw the pitch and what kind of pitch. And he's going really, really well. He's doing really well in the baseball game. Eventually into the game, what happens is the pitcher, the catcher makes a call. Kevin Costner's character makes a call to tell him what pitch to throw. And the kid on the mound is the pitcher shakes his head no. So the guy goes down and he sends the signal again. And the kid shakes his head no again. And he does it a third time, and eventually Kevin Costner's character calls a timeout, walks out to the pitcher's mound, and basically wants to know, what's up, right? Why are you shaking me off, right? We're winning, you're pitching really well, you're not giving up very many hits, what gives? And the kid says, I want to throw the heater, right? Meaning, I want to throw the ball as hard as I can. And Kevin Costner looks at him and says, why do you want to throw the heater? And the kid says, because I want to announce my presence with authority, right? What he was saying in that moment was, I want to communicate something to that batter and to the rest of that team. And I want to do it without saying a word. I just want my fastball to speak for me. Moving to John 8. We're in a series called the I Am's, right? Last week we studied I am the bread of life. And here was the word we focused on, right? The word we focused on in this and what we'll focus on throughout this whole series is the Greek word zoe, right? There are three Greek words that describe life. In English, there's one, right? In the Greek, there are three. There's the idea of suke, right? And the idea of bios, which basically make up the life that you have, whether it is at a cellular level, right? The physicalness of your, of your life, the body and everything that goes into it. And then there's the part of you, right? The part of you that is psychological, that part of you that knows I'm alive, which is better than being dead kind of thing. But the Greek language has a third word for the word life, which is zoe. And what Jesus promises Right? What Jesus promises us in the gospel of John over and over again is that life. A life that's basically more, right, than just living at a cellular level and more than just living on a psychological level of the meaning of life and having philosophical conversations about the purpose and the meaning of our existence. Jesus promises something better. As a matter of fact, in John 20 and verse 31, John writes, I write these things to you, right? I write these things to you so that you will believe, right, in Jesus. And by believing, you will have eternal Zoe. It isn't just a better life. It's a life that's better and it lasts forever. 
And every I am statement that Jesus makes leads into Zoe. And so last week we talked about I'm the bread of life, right? The idea that the Israelites ate manna in the wilderness for 40 years. God provided them bread from heaven. And for 40 years they ate of it. Didn't have to work. All they had to do was pick it up. And Jesus said in John 6, you ate of the manna and you still died. So you can have a gift from heaven, but it won't sustain you. What you need is the true bread that comes from heaven. And that's in knowing Jesus. And he says in that, in that, he says, you will have eternal life. Fast forward. We go through John chapter 7 and Jesus basically shows up at Jerusalem. After telling his disciples he wasn't coming because they wanted to kill him. He shows up in Jerusalem at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And the Feast of the Tabernacles was one of the big three celebrations that the Israelites celebrated, right? And the Feast of the Tabernacles was basically, right, a, a, a week-long celebration celebrating the harvest of grapes and olives, right? And the main purpose of it was when they did it, they remembered, right? It was a, it was a festival of remembrance, right, in regard to the wilderness wandering that they had in Israel back in the day of Moses. It was by far, right, the most fun of all of the festivals. It was by far the most attended of all of the festivals. If you wanted to go to the county fair, you went to the festival or the, the, the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles that the Israelites went to. Jesus is in Jerusalem at this time, and he's not just in Jerusalem, he's speaking in the temple. And we talked about this before that the temple in the day of Jerusalem was a, listen, it was a massive place, right? The temple that was built was a massive, a massive place. And there was an outer courtyard that you and I could have gone into. Gentiles could go into this outer space, but they weren't allowed to pass through that space. If you remember the plaque that was on the wall that basically said, if you're a Gentile and you pass by this, you're going to be killed. And then there was a court of women. Right, And the court of women was where the majority of people hung out because both men and women could be there. And in that court was also the treasury where these four trumpet-like offering baskets or bins were attached to walls where the Jews would then put in their offering. It was the most congregated place in the temple because beyond the court of women was the court of priests and eventually the, the, the temple. Right, And you, those places were forbidden. Right? But in the court of women, men and women gathered. And it was a busy place. And in John 7, Jesus is speaking in that crowd, right, in regard to living water. Because one of the things that was happening in that, in that festival was ceremonial washing. Right? Water and light were a huge part of the festival of tabernacles or the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths. And so they're washing and Jesus says, with all the ceremonial washing that people were doing to be right before God, Jesus says, if you believe in me, you'll be full of living water. Not ceremonial water, not water that will make you outwardly acceptable on a religious level, but you'll have something internally that will last forever. So he, he debunks the power of manna in 6. He debunks the power of ceremonial washing in chapter 7. And so Jesus, let's be clear here, Jesus is poking the bear. Okay? Jesus wasn't entering into these conversations hoping that nobody would be hurt. 
and that nobody would be offended. Jesus was aggressively poking the bear here. And in chapter 8, he really sets them on edge. In chapter 8, we build to this crescendo that ultimately blows up in chapter 9. And then we walk into basically the end of Jesus' life here on the earth. And all of this is based upon a conversation that Jesus is poking. He pokes he pokes at the, at the manna and its ineffectiveness, something that the Jews celebrated. He's poking at their ceremonial washing with water and making fun of it does it doesn't work. And in John chapter 8, he pokes fun at their light. And light is a metaphor that you can find all throughout scripture. And listen, it would have been easy for me to preach a really simple sermon Right in regard to light and how that looks for us and this give you some basic challenges. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to walk through the text of John 8 and where Jesus spoke the words, I am the light of the world. I wanted to teach on that passage. And that passage is so, so powerful. And it's long. So if you've got your Bibles, you got your phones, please bring it up. Right? I want you to follow along right? so that you can make sure that we're on point. As Joe always says, don't trust what we say. Trust what God's Word says. Right? We're only going to read one verse. We're only going to read one verse. And here's the verse, John 8, 12. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said. So he's continuing this conversation in the temple. With these people around, right? Because we're told in John 8, he does it in the treasury, which is the court of women, more than likely, where all these people are gathered, right? And he says to them, I am, again, using the phrase that is only given to God, right? I be, right? He's claiming equality with God, which, listen, ticked the Jews off to no end. And Jesus was, Jesus is so poking them, they don't even deal with that part. Right? They've just gotten used to it. He says, I am the what? Light of the world. Then he says this. Whoever follows me. Everybody say the word follow. Right? He says, whoever follows me will never walk in, but will have the light of life. So what is Jesus talking about when he says, I am the light of the world? So there's a... There's a uh, movie, there's a series of movies out, the Avenger movies, right? You've seen some of those. And there's, within the Avenger series, there's other movies that come out. One of them is called The Guardians of the Galaxy, right? And how many of you are looking forward to the Guardians of the Galaxy 3? Yes, right? By people, right? The rest of you were praying for it, right? Um, But one of the characters in the movie of Guardians of the Galaxy is basically a tree, Right? And that character's name is... Thank you. You people are so awesome. Right? And Groot, Groot, G-R-O-O-T, has one line. He speaks in every movie. And on the count of three, if you know it, say it. One, two, three. (laughs) I am Groot. To every question, to every response, this little tree, whose character's name is Groot, says, I am Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot, right? And here's the thing about the statement, I am Groot. If you've ever watched the movie, right, when the little raccoon character is talking to the tree character, right, makes perfect sense when I say it out loud, right? 
When the raccoon character is talking to the tree character, every response from the tree, whose name is Groot, every response to every question the raccoon asks him is, I am Groot. And here's what happens. The phrase, I am Groot, means a lot more than I am Groot. You understand that, right? It's so, it's so meaningful that when he says it, the raccoon knows exactly what he's saying. And I keep saying the raccoon because I don't remember that character's name. (laughs) One person who, Rocket, is that right? Rocket, you people are awesome. Nobody remembered Bull Durham. Everybody knows Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Right? I am grouped. There's more to it than just that statement. This is the same thing that happens in John 8, 12. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, man, he is announcing so much more than just I am the light of the world. It's a statement that reflects a layer of things he's communicating. It's like the movie 300, I am Spartacus, right? What a great line and a great movie and a great story of history. But what was he saying behind the line? I am Spartacus. He was saying so much more. That's what Jesus is doing here. It's not as simple as I am the light of the world. There's meaning behind it. Here's the first thing I think he's saying when he says I am the light of the world. And that's this. I am promised. When Jesus stood up in that temple and said, I am the light of the world. One of the things I believe that Jesus was saying was, I am promised. Listen to these passages from the prophet Isaiah, several hundred years before the coming of Jesus. And every Jew, especially the teachers of the law, knew these verses. The sun will be no more, or the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting And your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting and your days of sorrow will come to an end. Then will all your people be righteous and they will possess the land forever. Right? Isaiah chapter 42, I believe, or 49. What's the next one? Isaiah chapter 42 says this in the verse six verses. Here is my servant. Whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout, or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. Listen, you should take note of that. When Jesus comes, he will bring justice. And when he comes, he won't have to fight and argue and scream and holler. Which means if he doesn't have to fight and argue and scream and holler, those who follow him probably don't need to as well. Can I get an amen? Right? Okay, 12 of you, thank you for participating, right? He says this about the Lord's servant. The Lord, a breezed reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord the, what God the Lord says, he who created the heavens and stretched them out, 
He says, well, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. He says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. He says, I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a what? Light for the who? For the Gentiles and to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, right? And to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And then in Isaiah chapter 49, he says this, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. He said, from my birth, he's made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword in the shadow of his hand. He hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you're my servant, Israel, and whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, he says, and will gather Israel to himself for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. He says to me, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a what? Light for the Gentiles that you may bring my what? To the ends of the earth. Listen, when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, what everybody knew that he was saying, that knew the law, knew that he was saying, I was promised. This shouldn't be a surprise to you. This should not be a shock to you. I was foretold. Now, here's a scripture in Zechariah 14 that says this. On that day, there will be no what? There's not going to be any light. There's not going to be any cold or frost. He says, this is a prophecy of future, right? Our future. He says, it will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, he says, there will be what? Light. Because on that day, living water will flow from Jerusalem, half of the eastern sea and half to the western sea, he says, in summer and in winter. Listen, there's coming a time where there's no need for the moon and no need for the sun because Jesus will be our what? I'll be our light. Revelation 21 says the same thing. Look at what John writes. He says, I didn't see a temple in the new city of Jerusalem because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it and the lamb is its lamp. Listen, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, it wasn't just a promise that was foretold hundreds of years ago to the Jews. It's a promise that God's made to me and you that it's coming, that Jesus is something that's promised. And why is that a big deal to me and you? Here's why. Hebrews 6 says this. Men swear by someone greater than themselves. How many of you, when you were growing up as kids, said, I swear on my mom's, on my mom's life or my mom's grave or my dad's grave? Or, anybody ever say that? Right? How many of you ever said, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye? Right? Why? Because, bring that verse back up real quick. Why? Because men swear by someone greater than who? 
themselves. So he goes on to say this. He says, and the oath, the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all the arguments. Why? Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs, us, right, of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. And then the writer of Hebrews said this. God did this. His promise was confirmed by an oath. Why? So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to what? Lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. And then he says that hope is the anchor for my what? For my soul. So when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, it wasn't just about light. It was about the fact that he's promised. The fact that the Jews ignored the promise that God had given them in his word to them that they read, right? It's the same promise given to us. Zechariah tells us that there's a promised day coming where there'll be no need for light from a sun or from a moon because Jesus will be our light. Revelation 21 promises us in the new heaven and the new earth and the new city Jerusalem, there will be no temple because the lamb will be its temple and the lamb will be the lamp that lights that new city. He's promised to us. And here's the encouraging part. God has made that promise and kept it on two things. Promise and an oath, which the Bible says he now can't break. And what should that do for me and you in 2023? It should encourage us. Listen, there's not many things to cling to in this life as certain, right? We say things like the only certain things in life are death or taxes. I mean, whoever said that, not very smart. Because I don't know about you, but there's a lot of other things certain too. Like when you go through McDonald's, you're bound to get the order wrong, right? I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I worked at McDonald's one day, right? But there are lots of things in life that are certain. Listen, if you eat sugar every single day, you're going to get fat. That's certain, right? There are things in life that are certain more than death and taxes. But the reality is when it comes to building our lives and having something to cling to that gives us hope, there are not a lot of things in the world. There are people scrambling, there are people scrambling all over the world today just to try to find one thing to cling to that gives them hope so they can get up tomorrow. And here's what you and I have. We have an anchor. According to Hebrews 6, that anchor is in heaven. Meaning that's where it's plopped down. Meaning that no matter what you're going through here, our hope is that anchor in heaven's not moving. We might drift, a wave may buffet us, But the anchor holds firm because it's in heaven assured by two things. God's oath and his promise. And what's the promise? That the light's coming. That the light's coming. And when the light comes, it's going to bring justice to this nation. Right? To this world. There's encouragement for me and you. Listen, sometimes the only thing you have to hold on to is hope. You know, I listen to tons of audiobooks. And most of them are, you know, most of them are fictional. It's just a chance for me to sort of disconnect a little bit. And many of them are military, special ops kind of books. And one of the statements is constantly made in these books with these special uh, forces, right, in these special force operators, is that they say this often, hope is not a plan. 
It's not a plan. You know what? I would agree with that. Hope's not a plan. Jesus is our plan. Amen? He's our plan. But there are days, there are days where the only thing that keeps you tethered to that plan is hope. And so what are you going to put your hope in? Are you going to put your hope in a friend? Are you going to put your hope in health, money? Are you going to put hope in the love of a sports team? Are you going to put hope in your work? Are you going to put hope in your health? Right? Sometimes the only thing you need to get by to the next day to get back into the fight is you need something to cling to for hope. And here's what you have. You have hope that's anchored in heaven in the form of Jesus. Because when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, even though your world may look dark and may feel like it's getting darker, let me assure you that light is coming. To the Jews, it was present. To the Jews, he was standing in their midst. And you know what most of them did? They didn't believe it. Today, the light of Jesus is standing in the midst of the world. And you know what? Most people aren't believing it. But you and I have hope. An anchor in heaven. Why? Because I am the light of the world was promised to us long, long, long before now. And you can find hope in that. Here's the second thing I think that Jesus was saying was that I am potent. I was going to use the word powerful. It's sort of boring. I wanted to pontificate on potent, right? So Jesus makes the statement, I am the light of the world. And I believe that one of the things he was communicating in that statement was, I am promised. You, you should have known I was coming. And we should know that it's coming again. We should know that that's coming. And we should find hope in Jesus' return. Amen, church? You don't have to be overwhelmed and discouraged about the injustices of our world in the sense that we have no, we have no fight. Listen, the greatest justice maker in all of history will return and bring justice to the earth. Amen, church? We have hope in that because we have an anchor that's built on God's promise and his oath and he won't ever, ever lie to us, right? But he's also potent. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is making the statement that I am powerful, right? I am more than you could ever, ever imagine. Listen to what Colossians says in Colossians chapter one. Paul writes, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, everybody say the phrase, all things, all things were, were created by him and what? For him, right? He's before all things and in him, all things hold together. Listen, when it came to creation, God spoke and the word created life. Everybody got that? In the beginning, God said. Everybody say the word said. God empowered the word and he said, let there be light. Everything was made by him. Everything was made through him. And everything was made for him. This is Jesus cat. He's a pretty powerful thing, isn't he? I mean, the word of God is powerful beyond all measure. He created all things. Is it any wonder that Satan works overtime to remove the creation story from children's lives as they're growing up in public schools? No, why? Because everything about Jesus is based upon his position of authority. He is the creator of what things? All things. 
We're created by him and through him and for him. So let's teach something different. Let's teach something evil. Let's teach something to remove the potency and the power from Jesus, who's the creator. John says it this way in John 1. He writes, in the beginning was the what? The word. Let's be clear. Jesus' name given by Mary and Joseph was Jesus, right? Right? Joseph, right? His name, his name before Mary named him Jesus His name is and will always be the what? The word of God. And the word of God is powerful beyond measure. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the word created how many things? All things. All things. It says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He isn't just powerful. He's equal. He is God. He is I am. He says, he, the word, was with God in the beginning. Now listen to this. Through him, that's through the word, all things were made. Without him, the word, nothing was made that's been been made. That's what Paul echoes in Colossians 1. Now listen to verse 4. In him, that's in the word of God, was what? Life, zoe, not bios, not suke, not cellular level living, not psychological meaning of life kind of living. He says, in the word was zoe, that life that's better than those lives, a life that's complete and fulfilling. He says, that life was in Jesus or the word and that life was the what? So Jesus equals life, Zoe, and life equals light. Now look what light does. Verse 5. The light shines in the what? Darkness. So we could turn out every light in here, right? We could turn out every light in here. And we still couldn't remove every piece of light and make it pitch black in here. Because how how many lights does it take to remove darkness? Everybody say it. One. Listen, we could turn the lights off, make it pitch black, and if one person turned on their cell phone, darkness would be expelled. Because one light can remove darkness. It says that light shined in the darkness. Now look what happens when the light of Jesus, which is life, Zoe, met darkness. It says the darkness has not what? Understood it. First of all, so disappointed in the NIV especially the new NIV, for the way they translate the word here. Some of your Bibles will say that that light in the darkness overcame, right? Overcame darkness, right? The Greek word is kata lambano, right? Lambano is one of my favorite words in scripture, the Greek word. It means to take hold of something, right? In Ephesians 6, Paul says, take up your shield of faith. The word take up is analambano. It means to grab something and hold it up, right? And to do it with force, right? Aggressively. Here, he says that the light, which is life, which is the word, which we know is Jesus, didn't just shine in the darkness. It Everybody say the word overcame. Overcame the darkness. Kata Lombano is made up of two Greek words. Kata, which means to basically to take something down. It's the idea of an action that goes from here to here, right? Down. 
Lombano is the picture of grabbing something, seizing something, right? In Mark chapter 9, Mark uses it to describe what a demon did, right, to a demon-possessed individual. The demon, the demon would grab a hold of this person and slam him into the wall. It's the same word used to describe the Jews when they caught the woman in adultery. It says the woman was caught in adultery. The word is lumbano, meaning they walked in, they seized her, they took her down, and then they drug her to the temple. You get the picture of lumbano? You use two hands, you grab a hold of this thing, and you forcefully take it down. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said, or God says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That word was the life. Everybody say life. The life of all man. Show that, show that picture. Jesus equals life. Jesus equals Zoe. Then he says that life, right, is the light of all mankind. Right? Meaning it's for who? Come on, who's it for? Everybody. Which means every church should be sharing the news about that light with who? Everybody. Right? So Jesus equals life. Life equals light. Now look what light does. Light becomes greater than what? Darkness. It overcame it. You know what it did? It walked into the room where darkness was at. It grabbed it by two hands. It slammed it on the floor. And it made it powerless. That's the picture. The word, which is life, which gives light to all man, is greater than darkness because we seized it. The light seized it, right? Made it powerless. Put it in a corner. Tied it up, right? Took all of its authority away. The light did. I think there's another one here. Is there another one? Darkness is less powerful than who? Jesus. So when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, what he's saying is, I am extremely powerful. And here's the cool thing about this. You're going to, listen, this is why I love Wednesday night, because I get to do a little bit deeper, and that's why not everybody's here, right? But listen to this. Kata Lombano doesn't just mean to take a hold of something, right? The Greek tense of the verb is an accusant, or is an aorist accusative. And tense means everything. Right? In the Greek language. Here's what an aorist accusative tense means when it says that light overcomes darkness. The aorist, right? Sub, I said aorist, aorist subjunctive tense means this. There was no history of this behavior before and there's no continuous, continuation of this, his, of this action in the future. This is a one act, one time play. Listen to what he says. He says that Jesus, the word, is the life, and that life brings light to how many men? All men, and that light shines in the darkness and overcomes the darkness, which means Jesus has the power to render darkness powerless. And how many times does it take for darkness to touch light to make it powerless? Everybody say it. Once. That's what the aorist accusative tense means. It means, holy cow, right? Children's are going to be mad tonight, right? So some of you draw straws to see which parent leaves first, okay? Right? The aorist subjunctive tense means that this didn't happen before. 
And this isn't happening again. That light only has to come into darkness, contact with darkness once, and light always wins. Now, here's the key. John 8, 21, Jesus goes on and says this. Once more, Jesus said to these people, I'm going away, and you're going to look for me, and you're going to die in your sin, because where I go, you can't come. This made the Jews ask, is he going to kill himself? Is that why he says, where I'm going to go, you can't come? But he continued, you're from below and I'm from above. You're of this world and I'm not of this world. But I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not what? That I am who? The one I claim to be. Let's be clear. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He means I am promised. He's not just promised to the Jews in Isaiah. He's promised to us in Zechariah. And revelation, which means we can be encouraged. We can be encouraged because God's word and God's oath aren't breakable. We can find hope in that. And our hope, according to scripture, is anchored in heaven. Your life may drift in the injustice of this world. Your life may struggle in the darkness of this world. But the reality is you and I, because Jesus makes the claim that I am promised, can be encouraged. Can somebody say amen? But he also says, I am the light of the world, which means I am powerful. Do you know how powerful Jesus is in his true form? The Bible said he's so powerful that when the word comes, it brings life. And that life becomes the light of all men. And that light shines in darkness and that light overcomes darkness. Meaning it walks into the room where darkness is the boss, punches it one time, ties it up, throws it in the corner, and it never has to beat it up again. Can somebody say amen? And here's what he said. You know what happens when that happens? All you got to do is believe in me to access that power. So if you're here tonight, you don't believe Jesus, it's time. You don't have to tell me about your life because I know what it looks like. It's got things of darkness in it that you're not overcoming. And you're trying to overcome it on your own strength and your own merit and your own discipline and it's not working. And if you're online and you're new to this space and you don't believe in Jesus, this is the moment you push the button that I have decided. Because the only way to come in contact with the power of that light, according to the word of God, is you've got to believe in who? Jesus. You can't believe in a church. You can't believe in a book. You can't believe, right, in a set of traditions. You've got to believe in the man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? And that word, that word is the life that brings light to all men. And when it meets darkness, it destroys it. And you and I can come into contact with that power through believing in Jesus, which is why scripture says faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. You want to grow in your confidence? You want to walk more confidently in the power of the light that you have in you because you believed in Jesus? Put the word of God in your life. YouTube videos won't do it. TikTok videos help sometimes. Just kidding, right? They don't help. You know what helps? The word of God. And let's be clear that if you're going to walk in faith, God's going to test your faith. So when you're going through tough times, don't always give Satan all the credit. Recognize that God knows you need faith because faith in Jesus keeps you connected to the power of that light. And let's be clear, if we're not connected to the power of light, we're going to feel, everybody say the word feel, we're going to feel like darkness is overcoming us. Jesus says, I am the light. He means I am powerful. And here's the last thing. Here's the last thing he says. He says, I am not just promised and I am not just powerful. I am poignant, right? Poignant. The word poignant means to have a keen sense of sadness. 
to sense when there is sadness or melancholy in the space. A poignant moment is a moment of that kind of awareness of self-reflection, right? Here's what Jesus says. He says, I'm the light of the world, right? And he says, can I borrow you? Come on up here. Why don't you sit right down there in the front row and I am not, you're going to embarrass me, right? So Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. John says that the word was God and that word was life and that life was the light of all men. And the light didn't just shine in darkness, but it what? Come on, everybody say overcame. It overcame darkness, which means in the aorist accusative, it wasn't happening in the past and it's not happening in the present. It happened in its purest form one time. Light is so powerful that when it comes into contact with the light of the word of God, it renders it powerless. Jesus said that power is yours if you simply believe in me. Come on, say it. Amen. Amen. Paul said this in Romans 9. He says about the Jews or about the Gentiles, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness, he says, have obtained it, obtained, everybody say the word obtained, kata lambano, right? They've wrestled it to the ground, a righteousness that is by what? Come on now, listen to this. He says, if you're going to have the light, right? You're going to, you're going to have the light. That light's wrestled darkness to the ground. He says, now as a Gentile, you and me by faith, we've wrestled righteousness to the ground, which means we now have wrestled the right verdict from God to the ground on our behalf. And how many of you in here and how many of you online are guilty of sin? Say amen. And somehow through faith in Jesus, you've wrestled righteousness to the ground. You kata lambanoed it. Right? It's yours in Jesus. Somebody should say amen. amen. Right? That's yours. Stop talking about your resume of stupid things and start talking about the resume of the one who makes you righteous. Right? He's all powerful. It's ours. Right? But now listen to this verse. Right? In Philippians 3. Listen to what Paul says. Not that I have already what? You know that word now. It's the word katalamano. He says, not that I've already wrestled this thing to the ground. Let's be clear. We live in this space here, which is the already but not yet space. This is us on December the 21st with all the Christmas presents in front of the tree. And they all have our name on them. And they're ours, but they're not ours what? You get that? So Paul says, I haven't already obtained it. Meaning this thing isn't over yet, right? There's still a wrestling match. Because how many of you in your life struggle with darkness having more power than light in your life? Somebody say me, right? We all do, right? So we're in this already. It's ours, right? We've got it through Jesus, but not yet. So Paul says, I don't have it yet. I don't have it just yet, but he says, and I haven't been made perfect or complete, right? Teleos. I haven't been fully developed into my complete state of righteousness yet. He goes on to say this. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to press on and I'm going to what? Kata lambano, right? I'm going to seize it with both hands, 
right? He says, I'm going to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold, kata lambano of me, right? And look what he's going to do. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold. I haven't completely gotten everything God's going to give me. I haven't gotten it yet. Everybody read the last, everybody online, everybody here read this last line with me. But, come on, one more time. But, listen, one thing. It's not complicated. It's just one thing. Jesus is the light of the world, amen? He's promised. He's powerful. His power is so great that when it touches darkness, boom, darkness is on the floor begging, begging, tapping out, tapping out, asking for the judge to render the verdict that it's over. That's how powerful the light is. When we believe in Jesus, that's our power. Somebody say amen. Paul says we haven't obtained it yet. We haven't completely grabbed a hold of it yet. And even though Jesus has grabbed a hold of me and I've grabbed a hold of it, I haven't gotten it yet. But the one thing I do, not one of many, but the one thing I do is what? Everybody say the first word. I forget what's, I forget what's behind. Throw me a ball. Because this is how most of us walk, right? Here's my past. This is how I was raised. I wasn't very good. My parents were jerks. They split up. Nobody encouraged me. Right? Throw me another one. Oh, right in the face, dude. He's begging to be embarrassed, right? How many people would love to have your spot right now, right? Right? This is my childhood, right? Maybe I was abused. Maybe I was talked poorly to. Maybe people made fun of me. Maybe I was a weird kid. But this is me and I remember it. <laughs> Listen, hit me in the face. That's bad. Oh yeah, here we go. Here we go. Right? And here's another thing of the past. A broken relationship. Somebody betrayed me. Somebody that hurt me. Whatever. Right? <laughs> Give me another one. Right? Right? Do you get the picture? Now listen. How in the world are you supposed to honor or Lombano, the righteousness of God that is ours? How are you supposed to grab these things with both hands when all of us walk around carrying the past, holding on to it because we don't want to forget and we don't want to forgive and we want to dole out justice and we want to get angry and we want to tell our story. And here's the thing. The light has already overcome the darkness. But here's the thing about it. It's already, but not yet. We're still living here, which means we got to use both hands to hang on to this thing we have in Jesus. And too many of you are walking around and you've got, yeah, there we go. Throw the big one, right? You got all your, listen, you got your hands full. You got every story, everything remembered. You count it. You remember the day. You know what you ate. You remember the weather. Stop it. Forget what's behind. Forget it. And press on to the future. Why? Because that already, but not yet, that's ours. Because here's the thing. Light has complete. Everybody say complete. 
power over darkness. Complete. But how in the world can you experience that if you're walking around with your hands full of the past? You can't. And so you know what happens to you? You begin to believe that the light isn't powerful as somebody told you. You don't believe it. And then guess who doesn't believe it? Your spouse. And then guess who doesn't believe it? Your children. Then guess who doesn't believe it? Your grandchildren, your friends and your neighbors. But you know what you do? You continue to force them to come to church. You come to church because that's what we do. But you never believe in the power of the light. Because guess what? You don't walk in light. You're not walking in it. You're walking in what? Because I can guarantee you right now, all of you that are walking in the past, you know what your life's got more in it than anything else? Darkness. Because you begin to wallow in things that you shouldn't be wallowing in. Anger's there. Resentment's there. Bitterness is there. Gossip is there. Slander is there. Coping mechanisms are there. Guess what happens? The light that overcomes the darkness isn't really happening in your life. And yet the Bible said, if I believed in Jesus, I would have that power. The problem is, living in the already but not yet, you get to choose what you put in your hands. And for so many people, all they hold on to is the past. And maybe that's not you. Maybe instead you're holding on to the future. And you're terrified and worried. Well, what if? Well, what if? Well, what if? Well, what if? And so your hands aren't full of the past and the bad things. Your hands are full of the fret and the worry and the fear of the future. And guess what? Doesn't matter what you put in your hand. If you don't have hands that take hold of this already but not yet, darkness is going to creep in. Because you're not going to believe in the power of the light anymore. And you're going to find a substitute in the darkness. But you're going to keep making people come to church in your home because that's what we do. And you know what happens? Those kids grow up and they quit believing in the light. And eventually they see no purpose in coming to church. Listen, we have an amazing God who gives us great promises through Jesus. And when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he's not just making a simple statement. He's saying, I'm a promise you can trust in God. You don't have to worry about the injustice. I'm going to take care of it when I show up. And that could be your hope. He says, I am powerful. I am so powerful that when my light touches the darkness, it renders it powerless. And it's yours through believing in Jesus. But then he says, in a very poignant statement, too many of you, too many of you because I'm the light of the world have missed out because your hands are full of the past. And hands are full of the present. Our hands are full of the future. Listen, if you want to take hold, if you want to take hold, you're going to have to empty those hands. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to do that. Thank you, Shelby. <clears throat> this is Shelby. Everybody say hi to Shelby. She works in children. She's awesome. So she's, she's the one that's back there holding signs. So, so I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. And I just really want to encourage you. Empty those hands so you can grab hold of what God's given us. Father, thank you for Jesus. That in spite of the multitude of things thrown at him, that he could have wrapped his hands around and still been righteous in doing so. He emptied himself. He emptied himself and poured himself out on the cross for us. And in so doing, he gave us the greatest power in the world, access to his light. For every person watching, every person listening, my prayer is that we'll learn to walk in the power of the light. And for those of us that have made that near impossible because our hands are so full, I pray today will be the day, Father, that you finally convince us it's time to let it go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.